Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, everyone. I'm Summer McKean, a content creator and best sister of the year. Hi, I'm her sister, Bree. I'm actually a 10-time winner of that award. Together, we are the hosts of the podcast, Wavy. Okay. Every Wednesday, we bring you into the fun, exciting, hopefully helpful, and mostly chaotic world of our sisterly chats about everything and anything. From living in a world of comparisons to boy drama to the life changes that feel really overwhelming, we got your back. So please support the show with a like and follow to keep up with all of our latest sister shenanigans. Get Get wavy on Wednesdays. We'll We'll see you soon. soon. Hey everyone, I'm Jacqueline Johnson, the founder of Create and Cultivate, and this is Work Party, a podcast for a new generation of women who are ditching the rule book and redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. In each episode, we bring in leading female entrepreneurs for real talk advice on the topics that matter most to the modern career woman. From hiring to mentorship to raising money and so much more, whether you are pivoting to a new industry, negotiating a raise, turning your side hustle into a full-time gig, or pitching your company to investors, we're giving you the tips and tricks you need to take your career to the next level. Are you ready to make some money moves? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Work Party, the podcast. Today's guest is Touchland founder, Andrea Lisbona. Touchland marries sleek functional packaging with non-sticky, hydrating, and luxurious feeling hand sanitizer formulas. Today, Touchland has grown into the leading skin forward hand sanitizer brand and the most awarded hand sanitizer on the market. The revolutionary personal care brand has since become a crowd favorite, expanding into more than 4,000 retail stores in the U.S., including names like Target, Sephora, Ulta, and so many more. So in this episode of Work Party, I'm so excited to sit down with Andrea to dive into her founder story, explore the lessons she's learned launching a product on a global scale, and learn how she's about to build a visionary team alongside her. So let's get right into the episode. Welcome to Work Party, Andrea. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, of course. So it's always interesting to hear how a company gets its name. So where did Touchland come from and what's the story there? Sure. It's, it's a fun story, as, as many others. So when we started in 2010, we started distributing hand sanitizers. And one of the things that we wanted to do is kind of bringing in people into creating personal care rituals out of routines that you're not excited about. And most hand sanitizer brands in the market had like 
very negative marketing and they would drive people to use their products by fear. Like, you know that your phone has more germs than a public toilet seat. Do you know that the tray in the supermarket has 70% fecal germs? And our approach was we want to create a product that invites people to touch like never before, to explore life, to live, live to the fullest. And therefore, we created the name Touchland, which is the land of touching, the land of feeling, and the land of, of really not being like held back by anything, by any concerns, because we have created solutions that go along the way. So that's where it comes from. It's like an invitation to people to really enjoy life and to not be afraid about like interacting with the world. Yeah, I love that. That's so true. And you mentioned this was founded in 2010. So we know hand sanitizer today as like, it's everywhere, right? Like everywhere you go, obviously in a post-COVID world, but like what in 2010 were you thinking like, I want to go into this specific industry? Was it your background? Was it a specific experience you had? I'm a marketer and a brand strategist, not anything to do with germs or or cleanliness. But I think one of the things that I like about Apple and Nespresso and Dyson is that they took very commoditized categories, categories that didn't have joy, and they truly reinvented the wheel. And so I'm a big fan of skincare. I look forward at the end of the day to my skincare ritual, cleans, and that kind of brings me peace. And I've always wondered why personal care and like hygiene products and, and products that are not like skincare beauty related, they don't have that excitement. So that's why I wanted to beautify personal care and create solutions that gives you that sense of peace and calm that skincare gives you, but on the go and, and that have this sort of like functionality to it. And we started with hand sanitizers because the easiest way to stay healthy is by keeping your hands clean. And that's what your mother tells you when you're a kid. And we believe that this was a category that plays a key role into everyone staying healthy, but everything on the market, myself included, I would prefer not to sanitize my hands than to use a tequila smelling, goopy ketchup application solution. So that, that was our goal, like really take a very important category and through design, packaging, formulation, sense, truly elevate the experience and to bring excitement. I love that. I think it's such a great way to kind of approach entrepreneurship. Like again, to your point, you don't have to be a doctor to launch a hand sanitizing brand, but you have to have a strong vision, see an opportunity and then go from there. So you've mentioned before that you were never in this for the short term. This was always a long-term thing for you. From day one, you had plans to scale this brand in a really big way. So how did you go about mapping out this long-term plan even from day one? Yes, we took time. I mean, it's been almost now, it's 12 years since we launched. And I think one of the things that we did, which is not a very common way for entrepreneurs, is instead of going ahead and saying, this is what people need, we're going to reinvent with this packaging, this form factor and all that, we took time. And we always say, I build solutions and I create products for the people. And if I don't understand what the people need, and it's not, the people is not Andrea Lisbona, the people is everyone. And I'm a constant focus group person. And as we think of reinventing other industries, I'm, I'm like that person that is like, okay, and talk to me about this product. And what do you like about it? And people is like, can you not talk about work for once? But I'm really into experiences. So we started distributing hand sanitizer solutions for four years. And those went by very fast. And it helped me understand the market from a company standpoint, like why businesses were not buying hand sanitizer. And they would say, well, it doesn't have any sort of information. So I put this in the entrance of my hotel, but it, the, the refill goes out and I never know that. So it gives a very bad brand image to my hotel. So I wish that I would know when my refill is running lower. Then we talk to nurses and they would say, I carry hand sanitizer on my left pocket and a hand cream on my right pocket because at the end of the day, my skin is like paper gel. Like I cannot use 
anything because it's so dry, like paper. So having all that feedback helped us understand what people like, what people didn't like, what people would look forward to, to see from an innovation standpoint. But also I think it takes a lot of God because I think when you, there's, when you're reinventing something, there's a part of it that you're never going to get from, from the people because you don't know what you don't know. If you've never tried an electric car, you may not know that you actually enjoy it. So for us, it was a combination of really getting to know the industry and then us putting the instinct and the innovation and creativity into this new elevated experience. And then in 2014, we launched a pre-series of product in, in Spain. We had a lot of success in, in a smaller scale in Europe, in Europe, which is a way smaller market. And in 2016, we decided that it was right about time to, to go to the biggest market, which is the U.S. At that time, represented 30% of the global demand of hand sanitizers. And it took us two years to develop the products for the U.S. market. And we launched in 2018 with a Kickstarter campaign that was fully funded in 24 hours. And since then, it was, I mean, the most amazing journey <laughs> I could have ever dreamed of. Amazing. Well, tell us a little bit about this Kickstarter fundraising, because obviously I think everyone's heard of Kickstarter, but I think entrepreneurs get a little nervous about using Kickstarter. Obviously, it's not what it was 10 years ago. It's a completely different platform. So talk to us about your strategy of using Kickstarter and also your strategy around pre-orders. Sure. So I think Kickstarter, the way that we, the reason why we did Kickstarter, there's some companies that do it for fundraising. There's some other companies that do it for marketing. I think for us was kind of like a market like feedback before launch and really to see like who is buying more of this product and how is people feeling with this innovation. And I think the beauty about Kickstarter is that every time that you reach a certain milestone of revenue that you set, then you unlock new perks. And those new perks usually are like suggested by the backers. So for example, one of the products that we created is the, the key ring case that we put into our product. And that was out of the fans and the backers of the campaign that they were like, it would be so cool that you could attach my backpack or I could attach it to my keys. So I think it is, uh, I think one of the re- real successes of Touchland has been being a community-driven brand. Like I always say, you can have the most amazing product in the market, best quality and all that. But what we have been able to leave has been because the community has lifted us in a way that I think all of entrepreneurs dream about, which is having a community that is going to convert everyone around them into this experience. And that's what we've experienced since we launched in Kickstarter. More than 50% of the backers were from the US. So that was very exciting because we said, okay, we took the right decision to launch in this market. And, and for us, it was a really great experience from a marketing standpoint, from building these early backers that are so like big fans of the brand. And today, it's like, there's a lot of people on social media that is like, I supported you when you're launching in Kickstarter. And I think that sort of feeling that they were part of this coming to a reality, it's, to me, it's a great experience. And I think like the fear is like a non-successful campaign, but it's the fear, I think, as, as, as an entrepreneur, you go through so many moments where you may fail, you may succeed, and it's part of the journey. And and you learn out of it. So I definitely encourage people from a market validation standpoint to use Kickstarter and to, to start building community. I think like brands that are community driven can scale much faster because the word of mouth, especially in the social world nowadays, is, is key for, for fast growth. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you guys have been really strategic about using social media for your brand. You have over 160,000 followers on Instagram and over 100,000 followers on TikTok. In fact, I think you might be the most followed hand sanitizer brand on that platform, which is awesome. So tell us a little bit about your strategy when it comes to social. Obviously, it's sort of an unsexy product in some ways, right? The packaging is gorgeous, but the product itself is like, how many posts can you do about this? So what has been your approach to creating compelling content on these platforms? I think that's a very good question. But I think the most important, I think it's authenticity and being genuine, having your own voice and not being perfect. I think Nowadays, people appreciate imperfection and rawness and authenticity and being fun and playful. I always, when I, I'm very involved in social media, very, very involved. And I always follow my gut, but I would try to do it from, from a standpoint of inclusivity, of respect, of like giving this a platform for everyone to experience the brand in their own term. I think it's very beautiful because for many people, Touchland is a beauty experience. But for some other people, it's a fashion element. And for another people, it's like a social element because it's a conversation starter. So, and we've seen even people on TikTok, like using Touchland as a part of their TikToks, they use it as a phone. So I think like that's the beauty about the brand. Like some brands control so much the aesthetic, the the kind of content, the people that they partner with. The, I think Touchland is for everyone. And I always say it's like the same of Apple. Like Apple is for everyone that is like innovative, that have a heart about like trying new things and being creative. And that's how I feel Touchland is. It's Touchland is not for a specific group of people. And I think that's what makes the brand so successful in terms of whenever we launch in retail, I always say it's not about like landing on retail. It's about like velocity of sales. And, and that performance is what you can tell like people really buys into the experience, buys into the brand. And, and I think an, a good example of this is like trends like matching my outfit to Touchland and you will see people taking the product and switching outfit with the color of the, like all green for Apple issues, all red for wild watermelon. So I think it's it, our, our success in social media, I always say is like almost like dating. You want to be exciting every single day of your life. If you keep saying the same over and over again, after the third day, you would be like on to the next. And so I feel like brands should think of people the same way. You want to be exciting. You want to be transparent. You want to be authentic. You want to be some, someone that you look forward to, to 5 p.m. to see. And, and that has to be the same level of stress and level of commitment throughout all of the journey. And some brands, I feel like in order to keep growing, you, can, you always have to think your number second. When you think you've hit first, that's when you relax and then that's when someone else takes over. So for us, it's, it's it really always trying to reinvent ourselves and being playful and allowing the platform that we have for people to share how Touchland is for them. And, and that's the beauty about it. Yeah, absolutely. And to your point, you know, the market has changed a lot since 2010 when you guys launched. And obviously I'm sure 2020 was a very big year for you and now beyond that. So how do you keep up with the constant influx of needing to innovate, needing to update, coming up with new ideas? Like how, how do you think about staying competitive in the market? So I think in our case, because we are category creators, we don't, our performance is not hand sanitizer performance. Like if you think of hand sanitizers, like we were very successful pre-COVID, post-COVID when the category is decreasing by 6%, we're growing triple digits. So it, I always say I, I compete with ourselves and, and I was like that in university and I'm not a competitive person. 
with anyone else. I want to be better with ourselves every single time. And I look back and I'm like, am I better than last year? Not, am I better than the guy next to me? That to me, it's not relevant because I think it's, it helps you have a, a very clear focus on where you want to go. And I think innovation for us, it's very important. Because when you are obsessed with a product, that's what keeps this sort of like virality keep growing. And we're very strategic about the innovation. So many people say like, you could do this, you could do that. And we don't want to be a brand that has 200 SKUs. We want to be very strategic like Apple, like touch on very specific product categories that no one has reinvented that potentially everyone uses and that definitely could be improved. And so we're methodic. We launched in the US in 2018. We plan to launch and reinvent the next category at the end of 2023, beginning 2024. We have been working on it for quite some time, but I think like our retail partners and everything know how perfectionist I am. And they're like, take your time, innovation, like true innovation, true radical innovation takes time. So you don't have to rush it. You have to be fully convinced, like the form factor, the formula, the components, the ingredients, it has to be perfect. And and once you've done what we've done with, with the power mist that has become like celebrity indoors, award-winning, you want to keep up this tremendous success with everything that we touch on. So it is very important innovation and innovation takes time, real innovation, and it should not be rushed. And I think innovation helps, I think the communication strategy, because if you don't launch new products, you don't innovate like as, as a brand that is very well known for disrupting an industry, you have to keep innovating in order to be top of the wave. Yeah, absolutely. And I love this concept of taking your time. I think it's something that a lot of people don't talk about. I think we actually hear the opposite quite a bit of like first to market, go, 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 get new products out, have new things to talk about. But actually, you know, this the success around taking your time, getting it right, you know, being smart about that is a really unique and interesting approach to hear from. So you guys were direct to consumer and now you've expanded into over 4,000 retail doors like Sephora, Ulta, Target, and most recently Bed Bath and Beyond. Tell us a little bit about your approach to what makes a good retail partner, how to break into retail. I think that's a question a lot of people have. So retail is an amazing discovery platform, especially since April 2021 and the iOS update and the cost of acquisition rising. I love retail experience. I love to shop around and like see new brands, see how they come to life. So I do think that it's very important as brands grow to have like a very diversified like channel, like distribution, like to allocate everything into one channel. It's very risky because again, there's so many D2C brands that they only sold in D2C that when the iOS hit, like they started bleeding money completely because that from acquiring a customer to a certain amount, if you have to pay 10 times more, your complete business model or future changes tremendously. So for us, like we have a very, an omni-channel strategy where we started with B2C. We also grew in retail. We also are growing pretty fast in Amazon, which is very exciting. And mm. we're tapping now into other channels that we're not present. I think uh, you want to grow fast, but also you want to leave room to keep growing. And, uh, and again, like in order to, to build, I always say Nike, Apple, they didn't build the company in two years. Like they took 20 years. And, I, and that's why I say like, you want to grow fast, but at the same time, grow responsibly and sustainably. So since that was 2021, we relaunched the brand in a moment where the category was decreasing by 6%. We started knocking on some doors that we had sold previous to the pandemic and new doors. And we presented the brand and 
most of those retailers said, well, we have hand sanitizers that we have not sold and we will have enough inventory for the next 20 years to come. And so we asked them, like, hey, give us a try. You will see that we're not a hand sanitizer with a beauty brand that happens to sell hand sanitizers. So they gave us a chance and we've been duplicating, triplicating the space almost every six months in those retailers. There's not many brands that are in those retailers at the same time to get Sephora, Ulta, Target, growing at the same time it's been it's been such an amazing journey and and i think it has to be strategic you have to think of brand positioning about avoid prime dilution even if it's easy cash so we try to grow strategically and and also thinking of brand dilution especially when you create such a lifestyle brand every retailer that you are now add on is an extension of your brand so especially in the us where you have so many channels so many opportunities you want to be strategic about it yes absolutely i think that makes so much sense and i was going to ask you know because direct to consumer is not what it was right it was very easy to acquire customers and then obviously as you mentioned with the ios update expanding into retail is a huge huge part of it so what do you think it takes to attract retailers like what has been your experience in terms of getting in the door and getting it on shelves like what tips do you have for entrepreneurs who are maybe looking to go into like a sephora or something like that yeah so i think it's that's that's a thing a blend of things i think nowadays there's so many brands in the market there's so much information so much content that i think if i was one day manager at those retailers for me it's very important like the product the innovation like that you really have an added value compared to everyone else but i also think in the current world having a brand that is very strong from an awareness play, from a social play, from like a values aspect. Nowadays, we are in a moment that I always say it takes a lifetime to build trust, a second to lose it. And there's so many brands that are wrong cancer in social media, a wrong move from a partnership standpoint, they get completely canceled. So I think retailers do a due diligence on, on all of those things. Like what is this company from a product innovation standpoint? What is the pipeline of innovation? Where do you want to go? How strong are you in social media? Like What's your engagement rate? Like, what are your macro and micro strategy? I think it's a blend. It's not one thing. And I, mm-hmm. I would evaluate brands as a whole, like even like brands that ignore customer service. Like, no, every single little piece of the puzzle matters. And, and I think that's, that's very important because once you hit the shelves, at the end of the day, it's not a home run to enter into a retailer because if you don't sell, the product goes back. So the home run is the velocity, the performance. That's where you can breathe and go to sleep calm at night. To get into a retailer, a lot of brands are like, yeah, we made it into Target. I mean, that's the, I'm not going to say the easy part, but that's like yeah, a a liability and a a financial liability for you because you're going to produce on a forecast that you're going to receive. But if it doesn't get sold, like they're going to send it back. So it's, it's about like really working and the sales to help them sell. We do a lot of TikToks about when a product lands in Ulta or Sephora or Target, we do, we promote it there, we help them to get the product moving because it's it's a partnership. It's not like once you hit the shelves, it's their job to sell. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's such a important piece of the puzzle that people often forget. So let's talk a little bit about company culture and team. So you started Touchland with a visionary team who all had a knack for what was needed, you know, at the very beginning of building a brand. 
But obviously hiring is a very nuanced and complicated and challenging thing. So tell us a little bit about finding this initial team that you did and also what were some of the first key hires along the way that were a game changer for the business? That's, I think, one of the hardest parts of growth, especially when you're such a value-driven company. And I think like from a values standpoint, we're a company that shoots for the moon in the sense that we're ambitious, we're growing triple digit and all that. But at the same time, I can tell right now, every single member of the team is the most humble, kind person that is. And I think that's the hard balance that we've had some like obstacles along the way and learning lessons and all that, because sometimes ambition and being humble doesn't go hand in hand. And I always try to have my feet on the floor and I want my team to have the same sort of understanding that, hey, like, don't get too full of yourself. Like one day you're here, the next day you're here. and I try to find team members that, that are team players, that they really mean to be team players, that they want to help other members of the team, that they want to be helped and don't feel threatened by someone dropping an idea. Because in order to be so vital, fast growing, you need a team that is like very cohesive and that they want to, to like hold hands together to help each other. And then again, I feel like the, the key hires that we've had from the beginning, we had like, of course, the my co-founder who also is my husband and we are a little bit like the yin and yang like I'm a hurricane of passion and adrenaline and and he's someone that grounds me and is like very methodic and strategic and and operational so and and then we we hired our CMO that I met for many years and she's someone that to be honest like feels like it's her company and I think like that's the good feeling about this that everyone feels like it's their baby and they want to truly care about like every single thing that we do, every response, treating everyone, doesn't matter if it's a bigger retailer or a small store in a, in Miami, like everyone should be treated with respect. And, and I think that's, I was looking at the TikTok today where they were saying like for brands that really answer comments and they really care and they're not copy pasting responses. And someone said, Touchland is great at this. And it, this is not a coincidence. I really want to find a team that, that really understands that every message, every person that helps a little bit of growth should be honored and, and, and be treated with excitement and joy. So it's been, it's been hard, but I think we've been able to build a very strong team with lots of experience, young team that wants to grow. And, and I'm excited because I feel like it makes working a lot of hours and, and a lot of stress easier because you feel like you're like surrounded by a team of people that is super eager to keep going. And, and I think if you're comfortable with your team, the journey is way more exciting than if, if you had like a team that is like not getting along through this growth. Yeah, absolutely. Team dynamics are so important as you're growing the business and sharing that, to your point, mission and vision of what you want, but also, you know, maintaining that respect and, and, you know, the expectation I think is so important. So if you could go back to the beginning of your career, let's go back to 2010, like you're just starting the company. What advice would you give yourself? To myself? So I made, of course, I made a lot of errors. I think I always say that no matter what the errors I made, I think they were learning lessons and they got me to where I am. But I think from advice that I would give myself is to have contingency plans. Mm -hmm. I think I always believe in the good goodness of people. And I've, along the way, it's been a, a learning journey. And I feel like right now I'm a 70-year-old person on mindset because I've had so many hits on the way and, and I've learned 
to not be so trustworthy, to be a little bit more cautious, to be to be to to think that it's gonna go bad <laughs> because usually it goes. I think, <laughs> I think that losing. I, I always think of my nephew. He's a two year old, amazing kid, and and he's. He's such a kind soul. I'm like, oh, when you get to see what life is, <laughs> what, what you're going to find in life. But it's like that, that cheeriness and excitement and not knowing like, what bad means. I think that, that's, that was Andrea 12 years ago. And, and through that journey, I've, I've learned the hard way. And, but I think it was, it's good that I got 12 years to digest <laughs> throughout the way. But I, I think that that was something that I wish I knew yeah. earlier that, that the world is a hard place. Yeah. Yes. But it's also like, I, I totally agree with you. I'm like, I mean, I, I feel you on so many levels. I think also that naivety sometimes plays to your benefit early on because you don't know what you don't know and you kind of just exactly. keep going and you have that resilience. But yeah, no, that is very good advice. It's very true. And I feel like spoken like a true 10 plus year entrepreneur. So let's wrap with some sentence finishers. Another founder I would love to grab coffee with. Another founder that I would love to grab coffee with is Emily Ways. Yes. Success to me is? Finding a goal in life. And three traits that got me to where I am today are? Resilience, optimism, and a reason why. And my favorite scent of Touchland is? Peach cocoa. Ooh, amazing. Well, I've had the chance to try your products. They're absolutely amazing. Congratulations on your success. Can you tell everyone where they can find you and Touchland online? Sure. So Touchland, they can find us on TikTok, Touchland, and Instagram also. We're also in Twitter, Pinterest, and also myself is Andrea Lispona, and I... I'm mainly active on Instagram. I'm too old for TikTok. <laughs> I try to get ahead of the curve, but I, I just feel like I'm, I don't have the time and energy. Hopefully when I have a bigger team and I am more relaxed, I, I think TikTok is an amazing platform, but it got me a little bit late. Same, same girl, same. Well, thank you so much. And thanks for being part of Work Party. Thank you for having me. For more inspiring conversations like this one, follow the Work Party podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to rate and review us or show us some love on social. We love seeing you tune in every week and share your favorite episodes. We're at Work Party on Instagram and at It's a Work Party on Facebook and Twitter. I'm your host, Jacqueline Johnson, and this is Work Party.